like it's not just my family not not just my ohana but i have my community my neighbors the the people that are watching me because i i give them hope that's huge so when we talk about mental health that's gigantic stress it's not just academic success then they're trying to break out of like i'm not just an athlete i'm going to go to med school so they overperform. There's this piece around overperformance, or you know, like I'm not doing what I thought I was gonna do. I wanted to be a doctor. I failed genetics. My love is really in English, or my love is really in humanities. But I have that that tension there. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Dr. Glenn de Guzman. Thank you for joining yet another podcast episode of Student Affairs Now. So last year, um, in March of 2021, um, I hosted a Student Affairs episode called Amplifying Asian Pacific Islander Desi American Voices. Uh, we use the abbreviated term APIDA to describe our greater community in that episode. And, uh, and the podcast really was well responded to. We had a number of folks who just commented, thank you for doing that episode. And one of our listeners, Dr. Vidalino Raatior, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name, um, but he checked in with us and he requested a episode to bring awareness to the experiences of Pacific Islander students who can oftentimes be overlooked within the greater APIDA conversation. So, I scoured the country, but I brought together this phenomenal panel that I really was excited to bring together and sit down, talk story about um, um, their experiences and obviously their research when it comes to the Pacific Islander College students. So let's get started um, and, and, and let's get started on this podcast. So Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, and adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every week, every Wednesday. You can find details about this episode or browse our archives on studentaffairsnow.com. We also wanna give a shout out to our sponsors for this episode today. So Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi, the trusted partner for 2000 plus colleges and universities. Vector Solutions is the standard of care for student safety well-being and inclusion. We also want to thank Leadership. Go to leadership.org. You can learn more how they can create um, a just, caring, and thriving world. At the end of this podcast, I'll also share more information on our sponsor. So if you want to check them out, we we really appreciate that as well. Again, my name is Glenn de Guzman. I use he, him pronouns. I'm the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life at University of California, Berkeley. I'm recording this episode from my home in Livermore, California, which is the ancestral home of the unceded territory of the Pelham tribe of the Ohlone peoples. And with that, I am so excited because this took a while to get this group together. We, I was committed to this panel because there is just, they're just gonna come at you with a lot of good information and expertise. Um, Dr. Leilani uh, Kupo from University of Nevada, Reno, Dr. Kalani Vaughn from University of Utah and Sefa Aina from Pomona College. Welcome to the show. Uh, let's start with just sort of helping our uh, listeners get an idea of who you are and a little bit more about you. So if you could give um, just an audience a quick overview of who you are and your background to this topic. And let's start with you, Leilani. Uh, aloha mai kako. Uh, 
Uh, I come to you as a descendant of the ancient navigators of the Pacific, those who navigated to the ancestral homelands of the Kanaka Ma'ole uh, and who are responsible for the care and feeding of the unceded ancestral and illegally occupied lands of the Aina'o um, Hawaii. Um, and I also recognize that I am a visitor of the um, ancestral homelands and the unceded and illegally occupied lands of the Western Shoshone, the Northern Paiute, the Southern Paiute, and the Washoe people. And each day that I come to work, I acknowledge my space and place as a visitor in this, in this land. And I ask for permission to enter because that is part of who I am and how I have been raised. Um, but also I ask for guidance because as the Dean of Students at the University of Nevada, Reno, my responsibility, my kuleana is to provide guidance to people, but also to live the values that have been instilled in me by my ancestors. Um, I am humbled and honored to be on this illustrious panel and to be with, with wonderful people that I have, I have learned to love and grow, from, um, grow with from afar. Um, my name is Leilani Kupol, she, her pronouns, and I am so excited to be with you all today. Uh, one of the things as I've been thinking about what does it mean to be on this panel is how, what does it mean to be a Pacific Islander student or an indigenous scholar um, who has not only had to make space and take space for herself, in higher education, but also role model, what does that look like and feel like and sound like and be so bold to say taste like and smell like, and then help others understand that it's okay to be indigenous, to be Kanaka Ma'ole, to be Native Hawaiian, um, and to live our values of our ancestors when we've been told that it's not, that's not normal. And so um, my hope is that we can have that conversation today. And, and I know that that will happen because of my wonderful colleagues and friends that are also on this panel. And so I look forward to uh, joining you all um, on this journey. So thank you, mahalo. Thank you, Leilani. Kehalani. Oh, my Koko. Um, mahalo Nui, Leilani, and Dr. Dick Guzman um, for having us take part in this wonderful conversation today. I'm currently an assistant professor in education, culture, and society and the Pacific Island Studies Initiative at the University of Utah. I'm also a Ford postdoctoral scholar in critical indigenous studies at the University of Minnesota under the tutelage of Vicente Diaz. Um, my research really looks at higher education, decolonial practices, pedagogies, indigenous methodologies. I also um, look at trans indigeneity which so I study the ways in which Pacific Islanders living in Turtle Island recognize their indigeneity, their kuleana, their responsibilities by and through their relationships with native nations in Turtle Island. Um, I'm also a practitioner of higher education and I've worked at several institutions, including Pomona College, UCR, UCLA, also co-founder of EPIC, Empowering Pacific Islander Communities um, with my handsome fella, um, <laughs> mentor from a different era, uh, Sepa Aina. So I, I think um, our panel will create a lot of, um, you know, talk story and mana'o on this subject because as a first generation scholar, I understand the importance of how 
student affairs operates in students' journeys and how that can assist in someone being retained and seeing their full potential. So mahalo nui. And Sefa. Uh, I want to thank you, Glenn, for bringing, uh, bringing us together and, and, and a wonderful fellowship to talk a little bit about uh, who we are as a community, as a Pacific Islander community. My name is Sefa. I'm currently the Associate Dean and Director of the Draper Center for uh, Community Programs here at Pomona College. Um, prior to that, I worked at the Asian American Resource Center also here at Pomona College along with Kehau. And, um, and then uh, prior to that, I worked at the UCLA Asian American Studies Center. Um, and like Kehau mentioned, we were part of a team that created a program called EPIC, Empowering Pacific Islander Communities, which is still going fairly strong and it's rooted in a lot of the things we, we kind of came across as higher ed practitioners uh, and things we're gonna talk about today. So it's, it's really, uh, really good to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so let's start at the top. And this question is for Kelani. Can you help me and our listeners um, um, with a, a kind of sort of a description? How do we describe um, our Pacific Islander college students? Like, who are they? And how would you describe this diverse community to others um, who may not be as familiar? Thank you for that question. And I think that's a very important question because oftentimes, um, like you said at the beginning of the episode, we are a population that is often overlooked or um, we're made invisible, we're erased, we're raised and erased at the same time. So we're not monolithic. Um, we represent the descendants of the largest body of water, Oceania. We're the indigenous people of Micronesia, Melanesia and Polynesia. And most people um, in Turtle Island, AKA the United States are familiar with Polynesians um, due to geographic proximity, but also due to military incursions um, in that region, right? Um, and so, you know, you'll, you'll see um, people who identify Pacific Islanders through very limited understandings, meaning stereotypes that say um, they're all athletes, they're all comedians, they're all, you know, unhealthy, which could be um, true in, in numerous ways, but not understanding the full context because of colonialism and because settler colonialism. And so, you know, in terms of this population, it's dynamic, it's expansive. Um, and there are quite a few um, Pacific Islanders that have entanglements, and I say entanglements, not relationships with the United States, and so then we have very vexed positions and status like that we occupy, meaning some of us are US citizens, some of us are US nationals, some of us are um, compact of free association. And those are just within you know, the populations that have these entanglements with the United States. Then we have undocumented, right? So we're really looking at this diverse group of people there's over 20 identified ethnic groups in the United States um, from the US Census. Um, and this you know, kind of gives you a sense of these um, very distinct and yet um, categories that, and um, histories and experiences that do um, play a role in college going and higher education, right? So if we're looking at 
you know, certain groups of Pacific Islanders is, you know, un undocumented, they're not going to qualify for, you know, aid, right? Um, so there's all these various things happening all at once within this population that it's often overlooked, often erased, often marginalized. Um, we represent, you know, a very, very small community within academia at all levels, at all levels. So from students to graduate students, to faculty, to administrators. Um, and I would really urge, you know, um, all of our listeners to become more acquainted with um, our, our people because we have a lot to offer as indigenous people. We have a lot of knowledge to offer um, in the ways that we move forward as a community who has to have relationships with one another in this globalized world. And so there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from Pacific Islanders. Um, and I know there's a lot more that I'm not covering that Leilani and um, Dr. Kupo and Safa can also add in to my very brief introduction to uh, Pacific Islanders and our, our students. A lot of our students are first gen also. Um, and so that adds a particular you know, set of uh, unique um, uniqueness and challenges, um, but also the resilience, right? That I think we have learned since um, from time immemorial through our ancestors. Thank you for setting the table because that that's, that's a really good, robust description of the community that we're gonna be continuing to talk about. So you spoke about, um, there was one piece that you spoke about, like oftentimes the perspective can be lost. And so Sefa, this question is for you. I wanna expand on that a little bit more. I know you've done research on this and um, I know that you used the term quote, invisible minority, end quote, in a book chapter you co-wrote that centered on the challenges Pacific Islanders face around a multitude of topics like colonial, colonialism and immigration among other things. Can you specifically speak to the Pacific Islander students and the visibility they may face on college campuses? Or not may face, they are facing it. Love your take on this. And I was just um, at Long Beach City College yesterday at uh, the grand opening of their MANA program. Um, and uh, with our wonderful sisters, our PI sisters, uh, Taylor Robertson and Carello Kenny. Uh, and I was telling them that, you know, when it comes to visibility or invisibility, it depends on who's looking. It depends on who's looking for us. You know, coaches know who we are. You know, football coaches know who we are. Um, uh, campus security knows where we are. If you need security for your event, you know who we are. Um, if you need someone to entertain you by dancing or singing, or, you, know, you know who we are, you know. Um, where we are not visible is like what chaos says. We're not visible on campus. You know, our, our numbers are low, uh, you know, in, in, in the undergraduate um, uh, numbers overall. Uh, and when, when that part of the pipeline is, is, is so uh, small, you know, the numbers that then go on to graduate school, who then can lead into being an administrator like, you know, Dr. Kupo, um, who's one of the few native Hawaiians uh, here on the mainland uh, who, are, who are at that level. Um, and you don't have that pipeline. You don't have uh, a, a pipeline into uh, the administration. You don't have the pipeline into the faculty. And I know Kehau's story because I've known Kehau for a long time. And man, she did grad school like nobody else ever did grad school, you know, and, and she, she hustled and uh, she grinded it out to the, to the very end. And, 
you know, no, no people should have to do that. And, and so, you know, we're, our numbers are, are, we're invisible in the faculty ranks, you know, which then, you know, um, doesn't make space for them to be in the position one day to then hire other faculty to grow the pipeline. And I think one of the, 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 the biggest uh, places we're missing is in the curriculum. Um, there are not enough classes on, on Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander uh, topics. Um, it just, it's just, we're not there. And, and we have uh, solutions for the world, you know, our, our, our values and our, um, our experiences and our culture are things that the whole world can learn from. You know, we talk about sustainability. Like we, we are people who are sustainable, you know, um, out of practice, out of necessity, you know, historically, that's who we've been. You know, we, we, uh, when, you, when you see the kinds of conflict you're seeing in the world today, you know, there's this, um, we know how to reconcile, you know, um, ho'oponopono, you know, we know how to do things in a way that preserves humanity or, or actually lifts humanity. So they, by, by not being in the curriculum, we're hugely invisible. And, and therefore, I, don't, I think it's a disservice to all students in higher education. But yeah, that's what I would say. Thank you, Sefa. You spoke to the invisibility. You spoke to just getting Pacific Islanders into the pipeline. And it, and it seems to be um, uh, 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 an issue about getting Pacific Islanders to college and then keep them in college. So Leilani, I got a question for you around that. Can you speak to the challenges that faces communities in just getting to college? And then once there, obviously there are additional challenges in, in getting them to persist and to graduate. Um, if you can also speak to that. And with, I, you know, there's just so many issues that are emerging, I think broadly about mental health, the hate crimes against communities of color. Um, how are these realities impacting Pacific, Pacific Islander um, populations? And your recommendations suggested um, suggestions for others. Sure, that, that's so big, right? That's that's such a huge um, question. And so I invite um, Dr. Vaughn, I, I invite Kihal and um, Mr. Aina Sefa to, to join in as well. You know, when I think about the pathways to to college or even just the schooling for, for our Pacific Islander youth, um, I think about the messaging. I think about the messaging for many of our youth. Um, some of the messages are, your only pathway is to go to jail, to go into the military. I think about what Safa just said about like, you can be an athlete, you're gonna be security, you're gonna be the bodyguard. You need to fit a certain profile, your body type. Uh, you're not gonna be smart enough. So if you're not smart enough, then you gotta do extra things and work extra hard to meet certain criteria, right? So those are the messages that we're receiving. And then your gender also fits in that too, right? So if you, if you are man identified, then there are certain things that you gotta fit into. If you're woman identified, okay, you gotta get pregnant, you gotta do X, Y, Z, right? So those are already conditions that some of us are being told that we have to fit into. Then you have the other one of, some of the other messages of you have to overperform in order to get out of this. And so there's these assimilatory practices of you, you gotta, you gotta, I'm gonna say it, you gotta act white 
you got to colonize yourself. But then if you colonize yourself and you get the good grades and you, and you're able to overperform, how are you going to pay for school? You got to look for the resources. You got to be real, you got to be real smart and how to navigate because you got to know all of the rules. And so when you think about the pathways and some of the message, just the messaging that some of us receive, not all, but some of us receive, um, though that's one of the things that we are, that some of our communities do have to navigate and navigate very well and strategically. And so I always think about my, my grandfather would always tell me, he's like, Leilani, and he survived missionary schools. So that, that's important for, for folks to understand. So he is a product of, he was a product of the missionary school. He survived the missionary school. And he would always tell me, Leilani, you've got to know the rules of the colonizer in order to survive the colonizer, but you got to figure out how to be Kanaka. You got to figure out how to, how to be true to yourself and how to embody our values so that you can continue. I don't know, I'm six years old. How's a six-year-old supposed to internalize that? But I, I kept that because he would continue to teach me that. My tutu would continue to teach me the importance of caring for the land from Malama Aina. Like she would continue, I kill plants, but I try not to. Like, you know, I, I try to continue to, to live and embody her, her values. And so when we think about the messages that we received about assimilation, you got to act white, you got to be white, you got to figure out what are the rules in order to be successful. When I think about the ways in which that pipeline or that pathway, what that looks like and feels like for our youth, if you're, if I'm receiving messages about this is the only success pathway that I have, that does a lot for me psychologically. And so I either have to break that out or I have to have people in my life that are saying that there is different for you. Plus there's resources. And if we look at the economics and the resources that are available for many of our Pacific Islander communities, we don't have a lot of resources that are available to us economically. So there's some of those pieces that come along. We're in under-resourced districts or we are in low resource schools that we might be the smartest ones, but we don't have like the highest APC, so ACT, SAT score, so on and so forth, right? But we have really smart kids, like we're brilliant, like Safa said, we're so smart, like we know how to think differently, but we got it, but people have to understand that thinking differently is just as good as the assimilatory ways, right? So when we get to college, we then have to have people who understand that decolonized ways of knowing, indigenous ways of knowing, other ways of knowing are just as valuable. But when we get to college, what we're also seeing is that many of our scholars are having to figure out like, what does it mean to be Pacific Islander? Because I then gotta uh, justify my identity as Dr. Vaughn was saying, do I fit into this norm? What is my identity? Am I like, do I look enough? Do I act enough? And then when I'm on campus, do I look and act enough? When I go home, do I, am I too much or am I not enough? So there's that psychological piece. There's also the stress and the pressure of your community, of your family. Um, I say that not only for my own self, but from the scholars that I support and I, like they're talking about, like, it's not just my family, not, not just my ohana, but I have my community, my neighbors, the, the people that are watching me because I, I give them hope. That's huge. So when we talk about mental health, 
that's gigantic stress. It's not just academic success. Then they're trying to break out of like, I'm not just an athlete. I'm going to go to med school. So they overperform. There's this piece around overperformance or, you know, like, I'm not doing what I thought I was going to do. I wanted to be a doctor. I failed genetics. My love is really in English or my love is really in humanities, but I have that, that tension there. And so, so there is these disconnects of the, the societal expectations, the, the performativity expectations of like, what does it mean to be Pacific Islander? Enter in the cultural norms that will go along with that as well. Um, and, and then how do we fit those expectations? Wow. Leilani, that was so deep. There were so many points that you just brought forth. Sefa, Kailani, I don't know if there's if you can add or if there's something that Leilani shared that you wanted to expand on. There were just so many good points in that in that response. Um as Dr. Kupo was saying, you know, I think the complexity of these issues is just, it's enormous, right? Like, so you have people like who are, you know, Hawaiians, Kanakas that are in, you know, an occupied space, our land, our aina continues to be occupied and we continue to be pushed out of our homelands. Over 50% of Hawaiians no longer live in Hawaii anymore, not by choice. Um, you know, the cost of living is so high, right? So then you have this, displacement that occurs, right? Where Hawaiians are now living on the lands of another native nation, another indigenous people. Um, however, we suffer from the same socioeconomic issues, right? In terms of not being well-educated, um, being um, pushed into certain areas or industries. We're overly policed, overly criminalized. Um, and so you don't have enough, um, mentors or people that look like you in these spaces in higher education. So then you start to believe that this is not relevant for me. This is for other people. This is not for me. This is for other people else. I would see more people that look like me. Um, we continue to be the objects of study in classrooms and in higher education. We continue to be the research and not the researchers, right? And so like once we, we need to make the shift um, we cannot continue to, you know, say we value, you know, Pacific Islanders or we value equity, diversity, and inclusion. And there's this huge piece that continues to happen, especially within indigenous communities and in particular Pacific Islanders. We need to believe that as a people, as a community, we have these amazing gifts. Like, you know, what Dr. Cooper was saying, like what um, Seppo was saying in terms of we have that knowledge. We navigated without instruments using the stars, right? Who knows more about sustainability? People that have to live on islands, you know, with certain resources. We are the masters of these things. Um, however, you know, we need to have administrators. We need to have more student affairs um, professionals understand the complexities, but also understand that there's resources needed, right? We need resources. We need pathway programs. We need pathway programs with Pacific Islander staff, faculty. We need more faculty positions. We need PI studies. We need to make um, these um, connections for our students, for our youth that says higher ed is a place for you. You can explore whatever you want in terms of if you want to pursue humanities, why not? We have scholars in the Pacific that are great literature scholars that nobody even talks about, right? 
So, I mean, you know, just reflecting on when I used to teach at the Claremonts, one of the beginning exercises that I used to do with my students, and I would say, we're just doing an inventory, right? No pressure, no pressure. And I would just put these post-its around the room, simple questions like, okay, name a famous Pacific Islander. You know, they usually like know Troy Pamalu and all the athletes, right? Or The Rock, uh, know or say something that Pacific Islanders are known for. Health, diabetes, you know. Name one Pacific Islander scholar. They would list Sefa and I just to list someone. But, you know, there's a wide genre. Um, there's a field. There's a field out there. So the thing is, I would tell the students, it's, it's not that you should blame yourself. This is institutional. This is colonial. This is part of this process of, of making these ideas that Pacific Islanders are good for these things, like what Leilani and Sefa were saying. And they're incapable, incapable of doing these other things. We're incapable of being brilliant. Hello, we were brilliant. We continue to be brilliant. Oh, man, you guys, you know, so I just think, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on um, within this, you know, expansive um, population of people, expansive community. We have, you know, these various histories that are ongoing in terms of colonialism, settler colonialism, but we also are racialized in certain ways, right? So like, depending on the population, depending on your gender or, you know, it, you are racialized in a certain way within Turtle Island. Um, and so then you're dealing with all of these other issues here. So, I mean, yeah, I think I would encourage PI, um, PI communities to, you know, advocate and we have been in terms of that's why we created Epic, right? Um, and, and start saying, you know, we need to be seen. We need to be acknowledged um, and let's start doing the research that we need to do for our community. Um, however, you know, there's a responsibility on higher ed institutions and, and um, K through 12 to also contribute because if not, then I, I don't think it's benign anymore, right? It's not a benign ignorance. It's you, you know that you have a responsibility and if you're not working towards fulfilling these needs, then, you know, you are part of the problem. Sefa, did you want to add to that or, or I, I can expand, I'd love to expand and go deeper on uh, what Dr. Vaughn was just speaking about. It's just, it's just that I would just say, you know, it's tough to find, you know, um, solutions or fix civil rights issues that are rooted in human rights violations. You know what I mean? Um, I think, uh, you know, how many K Trask said it in, wrote it, you know, the moment you start advocating for those civil rights, you kind of surrender your your human rights, your rights as first peoples. And, you know, as people who are really big on genealogy and, um, you know, understanding who, who, what our history is and where the fractures are, are important to helping us uh, find solutions. You know, what, what I'm taking away is you've, all of you have identified so many of the, the challenges and issues that are facing the Pacific Island community, and you're just touching the surface at this point. And I, I'm curious to know from all of you, given your experiences and your work and your research, um, what advice would you give? And I'm gonna break this down into, you know, our listener base ranges, right? We have a lot of newer student affairs professionals and mid-level student affairs professionals who we all know work directly with our Pacific Islander students. We also, um, our listeners also 
include faculty, include student affairs, um, higher education faculty and um, student affairs decision makers, folks who are in higher level positions. Um, so what message would you want to, or advice, or would you give them to, to get, help them get started in their respective roles on how they can raise awareness and how we can begin to tackle this? Because you're right. I, I like what you, how you, you frame this. If we're not doing anything to fix the problem, we're part of the problem. So, you know, we're student affairs, let's fix the problem. So I'd love to hear from all of you. Maybe um, Dr. Vaughn, if you can kick us off, but I'd love to hear from all of you on this question. I'll, I'll actually toss it to, um... Sefa, since he's been in student affairs the longest, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, I have been in student affairs pretty long, but, you know, I, 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 I sort of took a non-traditional role to student affairs. You know, I was a student activist on campus, like many of us were. Uh, and I was a student activist at the UCLA campus in the early 90s. And you know, there was a lot of things happening in California, you know, like Prop 187, Prop 209, all these propositions that were rolling back uh, the, the protections of people of color in the state. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was quite an, uh, an environment to learn and, and to sort of come of age and then you cut your teeth. And then I met these Pacific Islanders who were just among the smartest Pacific Islanders I'd ever met. And uh, we weren't, they were committed to not perpetuating stereotypes. So we were not doing luau's, we were not, you know, uh, we weren't gonna do any of that stuff. You know, we were about the politics, you know, we were forward thinking and we didn't have Pacific Islander studies. So we shared books with each other. And, um, and that's where we, you know, read, you know, uh, from a native daughter, we read Albert Went books. We read all anything we could get our hands on. Um, and uh, that's how I came into student affairs because when I graduated from college, a position opened up at uh, UCLA's Asian American Study Center and it just so happened that it was in student affairs. And, uh, and I saw it as a way to kind of continue my activism. Um, and particularly in this particular role, it was a, it was, it was a position uh, in, in a, in a a unit called Student and Community Projects. So our job was to connect our campus with the community. And you know, if you're familiar with the UCLA Asian American Study Center, it's pretty old school. Yuri Kochiyama was there when, when writing her memoirs when I showed up. Yuji Ichioka was there, I coined the term, you know, all these amazing Asian American folks, you know, who I just, man, I was like, you know, I was the kid, you know, in, in the group. And you know, what I learned from them was that, you know, it's time for us to serve the people like we exist to serve the community and so my 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 um you know beginnings and my entry into you know the way i was imprinted in, in student affairs was that that was the mantra it was sort of a very 60s kind of like you know let's get let's get out there and make some change you know you know what i mean and so um and then over the years you know by being in the field i kind of learned learned other things like identity development and all this other stuff that's, you know, sort of traditional student affairs types type things. Um, and so what I'd say uh, for me, what sustained me uh, is that I had the connection uh, off campus. Um, I've always, you know, uh, looked for that, you know, that balance. You know, when we were at UCLA, we created a thing called peer, Pacific Islander education, uh, education and retain, uh, retention which works um, with uh, 
Carson, Long Beach, Inglewood, and, and places like that. It's a student retention, high school student retention program that's run out of UCLA. Um, I, I was able to be fortunate enough to help create a group called NPINE, the National Pacific Islander Educators Network. Um, we worked on this pro program called the Pipeline Program, which led into EPIC. Um, you know, when even here at, at Pomona, a friend of mine who lived in the city of Pomona told me about a Tongan church that he lived by. And, you know, I, I walked in and introduced myself and said, hey, I'm Sefa, um, you know, can we do something? You know, and, and 12 years later, we're still running that program. It's called STEP. Um, and I, that's, that's what I'd say, you know, kept me, kept perspective. You know, I feel like, you know, I, I always make fun of the kids because, you know, here, you know, we got hummus, you know, there's squirrels running around, like, how bad is it really? You know what I mean? I know, I know it sucks, you know, feeling marginal, but let's go out there and make some change. You know what I mean? Because I feel like for me, what it did for me was a, a source of retention. It kept me in school. Uh, and as a professional, it keeps me grounded, you know? So I would say to all the young folks coming through the pipeline, make sure you have ways to keep yourself grounded. You know, make sure you have that community because, you know, we are people, you know, that means the path to leadership is through service. That's a proverb that existed in the Samoan community before missionaries came. You know what I mean? Like we're at our best when we're serving our community. And so uh, that doesn't go away when you become the dean of something or, you know, uh, the director of something. Like those things have to still be part of your, and and it's 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 not just uh, it's not just after school programs. Like this is what helps bring uh, balance into your life. Thank you, Sefa. Yeah. Belani, Kalana. <laughs> Look, I love how we're just gonna. <laughs> I'll go then. Hilarious. <laughs> um. You know, similar to, you know, what Sefa was saying, I actually, you know, attended a small private liberal arts college in Southern California, Occidental College. Um, my story there is probably like a lot of people who are first gen. Um, we didn't even visit campus before move-in day. My mom was like, she made the decision. She's the matriarch. She's my sister and I were twins. She's like, one of you is going to UCLA. <laughs> the other one's going to be in LA too. You're going to Occidental. Everybody was like, is this a dental school? You know, nobody knew. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, feeling that type of like marginalization, not only were there not, there's a few people from Hawaii, there's a few Hawaiians from commitment schools that attended, but in particular, not having um, Pacific Islanders that were from Turtle Island and having that type of experience as well. Not seeing faculty or staff that look like you, not seeing um, yourself in the curriculum, right? It was like, I took one class in Asian American studies and it was like strangers from a different shore, you know, about, you know, Asian migration to Hawaii, but there was no Kanaka presence in the book, right? And I'm like, I was excited because I saw some words that were Hawaiian, like Kahana, right? <laughs> but, you know, not to be seen as, as people, not to even be visible, um, had a huge on me to, you know, not only contribute to imposter syndrome, but also to, you know, just think that I, I could do this, right? That I was, I was worthy of it or something. And so I had an Asian American um, administrator um, at the Intercultural Community Center my last year, um, Alice Hong, 
who handed over native daughter to me. And because I was telling her about my feelings, I was like, why is there such a huge diaspora in Hayward, California? You know, like, why is there such a huge Hawaiian di diaspora in Alameda County? There's certain factors that have pushed us out, right? And then she handed over a native daughter and the rest is history. You know, I finally found like a book that spoke to my experience. Um, I finally found like a scholar or, you know, made like the possibilities of, you know, studying, researching our communities for, for ourselves, uh, a possibility, um, the fierceness, right? The aloha um, that how money gave um, really is what I wanted to embody. Um, and so like, I always tell, you know, my students who are, who are, who are feeling marginalized, like, um, you know, intersectionality is a great way of looking at things in terms of like finding connections where you can, you know, finding, you know, I talk about indigeneity. So it's not just about Pacific Islanders, but like, let's broadly talk about being an indigenous person. Let's broadly talk about our experiences as women of color in academia. Let's broadly talk about being first generation. Let's broadly talk about being, you know, um, coming from a household that was single parent or low income, right? So there's ways that we can find these connections. And I think, you know, kind of keeping the specificity in mind, but also like thinking about expansive ways of understanding each other is really important. And I think advocacy is key in terms of, you know, trying to uh, make uh, sincere, authentic connections in the community, not just so that you can fulfill a grant or do a study or do some research, but long-standing connections that will be key when you're working with Pacific Islander and indigenous communities in general, because they have a long history of being exploited because of research or for the purposes of research. So to you know combat that, you're gonna have to create these reciprocal relationships that are ongoing, you're gonna have to show up, you're gonna have to use your gifts. I always tell my students and you know, um, at the Claremonts when we used to work with STEP, I was like telling our students, you have so many gifts that you can contribute to you know, this community that we are part of right outside of our college campus, right? There's a huge Tongan community. And at the time when I was there, and I don't know if this has changed, but there wasn't a single Tongan student enrolled at the whole consortium. And it's like, they've been here since the 60s. Why is that even a thing? You know, shouldn't we be having like this pathway that's already set up with this community? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to create these relationships, being in community, sincere community, genuine community, and not just for something that you can get out of it, but like thinking about how you can be of service like what Sefa was saying. I think that's really key and that's really important. Being an advocate for people who may not look like you, right? Um, don't just shoulder tap Pacific Islander people to be the experts. Find resources to pay them. <laughs> like I always say, there's so many, there's limited people and higher ed has a lot of resources. So it behooves us to, you know, kind of look at the ways in which we are honoring someone's knowledge, their time, their mana'o. Um, and if you're gonna work with community, I would encourage people to, you know, pay them like you would pay consultants, right? But with a long-standing goal of, I wanna be in community. I wanna be of service. How can I help, you know, and be an advocate for those who may not look like you or come from the same background as you. 
Um, and I know Leilani has, Dr. Kupel has more to add. Um, so circling back to what Dr. Vaughn and Dean Ina um, have shared, I think the, the, the first thing to really center is who, who are you serving? Who do you serve? And for what reason are you serving? Um, you know, it's, it's really, like, I, I think about that every day and it's not about myself, it's about the community. And decentering myself really helped me better understand the community of which I'm coming into. Um, I, also, I also really think about this, this idea of Pacific Islanders are not monolithic. And that each community has a rich, deep culture that I have a Kuliana responsibility to learn about. And so that this goes right back to what um, Kehal was talking about, that we have a responsibility to do homework and to do some really deep and concerted and intentional research and to do some emotional and intellectual labor that does not exploit the people that we are trying to support. Because I think that there is this, there are these moments at which people come to me, I'm talking from myself, my own baggage, but people will very easily come to me and be like, oh, well, tell me about this and how it's going to be real easy to work with all Pacific Islanders. And I'm like, you understand I am one person who grew up on Turtle Island. So I'm an off-island Hawaiian. So I cannot tell you about all Hawaiians and I cannot tell you about every Pacific Islander. And you probably don't want to know my opinions because I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. Um, and I cannot speak to that whole experience. Also, like, why are you going to exploit me? There's a lot, there's a lot that's deep down because that's very colonizing. That's very exploiting. And that's just, that's what the missionaries did. And so, so there's, there's work that has to be done. Um, and there's an opportunity to do some work and then to triangulate, to be like, so I learned about this um, and then go find some friends before you go and exploit some Pacific Islander people to be like, so this is what I learned. Like, is this right? Do not turn me into a vacation um, because that's what's happened for me and some of my, um, my Pacific Islander colleagues where we get turned into these vacations rather than, because people want to save us and we're not broken. We don't need to be saved and we don't need to be fixed. And I think like shifting that idea that our scholars are not broken the student, the Pacific Islander students who come into our universities, the ones who are at the University of Nevada, Reno, they're not broken. They do not need to be saved. The ones at Pomona, the ones at Utah, they do not need to be fixed. We are just in a different space. And we, we are taught differently. We see the world through a different type of lens. And I think that that is really powerful. And so as, as practitioners, as student affairs practitioners and scholars and scholar practitioners, however we identify ourselves, that we have an opportunity to, to, to change the field from that of fixing our scholars to how do we reimagine the ways in which we interact as a dean, a director, a, a faculty member, a program coordinator, a mentor, that we're not fixing people because people are not broken. That we are not here to colonize, like we're not going to adopt that assimilatory or colonizer mentality 
um, that we're here to provide support that is relevant and makes sense. And that we're here to learn from each other after we do our own homework. And I'm gonna um, follow up on that is that, yes, that we have a lot of homework. I have a lot of homework. And um, you know, it, it, is, it is critical and essential that student affairs, higher education professionals, we need to do our own work to better understand and not necessarily always lean on um, Pacific Islander student affairs, higher education faculty to, to, to save us or to, 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 to fill in the blanks. Uh, you know, that is our obligation. I wanna ask y'all because I think one of the things for me personally is that when I am learning, when I am continuing to understand a community or better understand the experiences of others, um, I think about like um, key people, authors, writers, there's just different ways to learn. So I'm curious from all of you, like for, for, the, for our listeners, what is a book? Uh, I mean, there's so many, like, I think we, that's, my, that's our homework. We gotta look into that as well. But if you could pinpoint or pick one or two things that you would encourage our listeners to, to look up, a book, an author, a performing artist, or a podcast, uh, like what would you recommend for, for others to enhance their awareness of Pacific Islander experience? And we get, Sefa, do you wanna go first? Sure. Um, so I, I read this book a bunch of years ago, um, They Who Do Not Grieve by Sia Figuel. Sia Figuel is, is a Samoan writer and she writes amazing uh, fiction. Um, it's really engaging and it's a way to kind of know our community, you know, uh, through, through storytelling. So she, she's, a, she's a wonderful storyteller. Uh, any book by Sia Figuel, uh, I would say. Thank you, Dean, Ina. Um, Dr. Kupo. Okay, so I had to I had to look it up. So um, one is by Jay uh, Keholani Kawanui. Uh, it's called Hawaiian Blood. Uh, and so the one thing that I didn't get to say is I always look outside of education for my own education. Uh, and so Keholani Kawanui is a um, phenomenal human in first place. Uh, Sakuraval is an anthropologist. So she's sociology, anthropology, um, and uh, writes a lot about um, politics, but then also Hawaiian culture. And so I would say that uh, Hawaiian blood is really great. And then uh, Noi Noi K. Silva also writes a lot of just prolific and very um, interesting um, texts that focus on politics and um, the Aina. So uh, a movie that I would recommend um, is actually out of Aotearoa. It's called Once, Was War Once Were Warriors. Um, and it's about um, the Maori experience. And I think oftentimes we, you know, when we talk about who, who are the Pacific Islanders, a lot of focus on, um, uh, on Native Hawaiians or Hawaiian people. There's some focus on Samoans that we forget about everybody else. And so um, the, the Maori um, Once We're Warriors was, is a pretty phenomenal um, uh, movie. It's an older movie. I think it was made in the 1990s, but it, it does provide a, a different kind of insight, so. Thank you. And Dr. Vaughn. I have a list for days. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll keep it quick though. Um, so, you know, the book that we've all been quoting, A Native Daughter by Halmani K. Trask was a key book in my own 
growth as a scholar. And a lot of other Pacific Islanders or indigenous people who read that book find all of these connections with, with how many's work in talking about um, settler colonialism in Hawaii and imperialism in the Pacific. Um, decolonizing methodologies, key book. If you're gonna work on um, any type of research with indigenous populations, I always assign pieces of that book in all of my classes. It talks about the ways in which you should be approaching <laughs> indigenous communities, how to approach, how to create a research agenda, um, how to just be in community and, you know, how to like create this pathway of indigenous researchers, right? Um, and our own methodology, our own frameworks. Um, Manuelani Meyer, great, great, great scholar. He talks about the mind, body and the spirit, right? And oftentimes in the ways that we reflect on research or do work in academia, there's this disconnect that doesn't account for us as humans, as indigenous people. Um, Maile Arvin, um, a great uh, native Pacific feminist scholar who is writing about possessing Polynesians. So the way that Pacific Islanders within um, the social sciences um, through like eugenic notions get categorized as Polynesians, as a group that is categorized as almost white, and Melanesians on the antithesis of that as being almost black, right? So how social science has contributed to these ideas of whiteness and blackness within our own communities. Um, Mele Murals is a great film. I, I always encourage films because I think there's so much work that can be captured within film that, you know, oftentimes when you're reading an article or when you're reading a book, I'm a nerd, I love all this stuff, but you know, um, it just, it, you know, our youth, um, they're creative. They, they like these types of expressions of uh, visualization. And so like Melee Murals, there's so much films out there, um, you know, regarding our Mo'olelo, the stories that we tell throughout um, greater Oceania. Um, another thing is um, at the U, we created uh, the Pacifica Archive. And so we actually had uh, talk story sessions with Pacific Islander scholars. Um, one of them, Tevita Kaili from BYU Hawaii, um, Manuelani Meyer, uh, Christine Delisle, who's a Chamorro scholar. Um, we also have um, people from the community who, who share their higher education journey in this archive and talk about their own experiences of higher ed, but then also like what professions they're in. Because sometimes that doesn't align, right, directly. And as first-generation scholars, for many of us, we need to hear stories like that, that you can get a degree in English and still do public health or something. Um, but I would really encourage, there's so many resources out there. There's so many, you know, Apele Haofa's work that talks about Oceania and the mindset in which we need to change, you know, thinking about ourselves as this small group of islands and juxtaposing that to like, we're the largest body of water that encompasses all these islands. We are the highways, right? Um, so really thinking about the ocean and how that's part of who we are and where we live and it's expensive. Um, so not diminishing ourselves and the ways in which, you know, um, as Dr. Cooper was saying in terms of like the way that Westerners try to categorize us to belittle ourselves. Um, so I think there's so much work being done. There's and, and for solutions, there's work that's being done right now. So there are solutions that are out there. 
There's Mana Charter Academy here in Utah that I, I really have to plug. It's a Pacific Islander culturally based school in here in Utah, but it's diverse. So, you know, the whole mission is to have cult, Pacific Islander culture in, in what they're learning, um, but it, it services diverse um, students. So like it, it reinforces the idea that other people can learn from our culture, our mana'o, our knowledge, our knowledge system. Um, but there's so many things that are going on in the community where people are doing the work. They are, they are um, creating the solutions. We have the solutions, we are doing them. Um, it's just kind of highlighting them and giving enough resources to the people that are already doing this work. And we're going to, um, and I know that for our listeners, we're going to put a lot of these resources that were just listed at the, um, uh, in, in our website. So if you go to studentaffairsnow.com, you, you can reference if you want to look into one or many of these different types of things that was shared. We are coming to the end of our podcast and um, with our time remaining, uh, we always ask this question of our panelists and it's, it's really just sort of like we have this conversation and wow, I, this is the reason everyone why I brought this panel together because there was just so much good information shared. And so I really want the panelists to close with sort of a, a one minute um, thought about what are you thinking about? What's, what are you pondering? What's exciting you or maybe what's troubling you now? And I'm going to actually ask uh, Sefa, um, Dean, I don't know if you could kick us off as well. So um, I, I talk about this a lot lately. So there's there's this thing in our Samoan culture it's called Fa'alavilavis, and it's um, it's it's sort of like a life life occurrences that are that can be burdensome, like your funerals or weddings and things like that, where you know everyone is expected to give money, and um, and you know that could mean the difference between paying your rent. And helping your family or you know keeping the lights on and helping your family and you know over the years it's caused a lot of stress and it's caused even a lot of folks to just sort of disassociate with the culture and say well you know that's bad and you know why should we have to do this and um and you know i, I take a, a different approach to it it's it's that it's not that the culture is bad because the richness of the culture is coming together it's that we're not ready you know our young people are not going to school, you know, our young people are not putting themselves in a position to be financially stable so to support their families. So going to school and being educated is about saving our culture. You know, it's not just about you going out there and doing your thing, you know, as an individual or making this kind of money or whatever. This is literally about saving our culture. We will not be able to practice our cultural values because we can't afford to. You know, and and everyday life, and you know the the remnants of, of historical injustices will continue to wreak havoc on our on our identities until we're totally deracinated and we're just big brown people, beautiful big brown people, but just big brown people. Uh, and so that's what I'd say. You know, that's been on my mind a lot. It's like these. It, it's not about. It's not just about you know, gold school, whatever, whatever. It's, this is about saving our culture. This is about saving our people. This is about saving our way of life. And so that's why it's important. Thank you. Dr. Kupo. So I, I often think about my grandparents. Um, they are, they, 
I don't know why most most uh, recently they've been on my mind and and as my dad as well. My dad passed away um, in 2013, and so all three of them have really been on my mind uh, lately. And and I think about the ways in which they have taught me to survive um, within these spaces, but also what it means to thrive. Because the messages of survival um, around safety and um, the protection of our culture and the values were not just about the, the protection to, to close oneself off, but it was really about how to perpetuate and to thrive in spaces. Um, similar to what uh, Dean, I know what, what Sefa was talking about is like, what is, what are the ways in which we can, can continue and celebrate who we are um, so that we have a legacy um, and that we can continue um, the powerful knowledge and the ways of being that our ancestors have laid out for us. Um, and, and I'm always, I'm always thinking about like, how do I share that information with our, um, with our Pacific Islander students, but then also with those that I, that I work with in a way that one is not sharing too much, is not sharing the the being too vulnerable or or sharing the the secrets of the family right but is also um being being caring enough and sharing enough of my myself to to be able to say like, this is important and this matters so trying to find that that i don't want to say balance i don't have another word for it but being able to find like that what that what that would be, what does that look like and feel like and sound like for me, um, but also protecting myself and, and then also being able to, to find space for others to be able to share themselves as well. Thank you. And Dr. Vaughn, close us out. So um, as I said in the beginning, my work is really looking at trans indigenous recognitions so the ways in which, like what Leilani and um, Safa, Dr. Kupo were saying, in terms of like, we have these understandings of Aina or land. How do we embody these understandings and these protocols in Turtle Island, right? So like the way that Dr. Kupo, you know, introduced herself, she said, it's my kuleana, it's my responsibility to identify the land in which I am on. and and not only acknowledging, going past acknowledgement, right? Like trying to build those relationalities that are sincere, right? And so I'm, you know, thinking, you know, thinking about, you know, PI studies in Turtle Island, right? Do we just talk about the Pacific or do we have a responsibility to contextualize the place in which we are in? And if we're gonna do PI studies in the diaspora, we definitely, as scholars, have a responsibility, a kuleana, to give the context in which, in, to the place and to the people and to the land in which we continue to be fed, not only physically, but you know, spiritually, the land is taking care of us. We have a responsibility back to these people. And I think you know, just kind of highlighting these stories where that does occur, right? These bodies of knowledge get continue to kind of cross across time and space, right? 
And I want to document these stories because they're not only like reminders to us as people of Oceania who are on someone else's land, who's being hosted by someone else's um, land and resources, but also it gives us glimpses. It gives us hope about how we can create communities, not just amongst Kanakamali, right? Not just amongst Pacific Islanders, but also are tied to these greater conceptions of responsibilities to place and to land. These are decolonial possibilities. And so how do we strengthen and how do we tell these stories? And I'm committed to that work because I don't want Pacific Islanders and Turtle Island to kind of just identify themselves as these people that are static, right? These notions of, okay, my Aina, my homeland is back there, but I don't have a responsibility to this place in which I live in and I work in and my family lives in. So I'm, I'm really trying hard to kind of create these and showcase these relationalities that are taking place, these stories that are taking place that are resisting, right? They're saying, hey, we're, we're um, practicing survivance, right? We are not only surviving in this world despite colonialism, right? In spite of all these things, we are creating new understandings of the places that we live in. And um, I want that for our youth because we have that knowledge. It's just about creating that community together and, and really demonstrating um, how these relationships are working and continue to work because this is not just happening recently. Actually, these are recent expressions of, of these ongoing relationships between Oceania and Turtle Island. So that's what I'm committed to. Thank you so much. And really thank you to this panel of guests, Dr. Leilani Kupo, University of Nevada, Reno, Dr. Kelani Vaughn, University of Utah, and Dean Sefa Aina from Pomona College. Thank you for joining me today on this episode. I wanna thank Nat Ambrosi behind the scenes. As always, she takes care of us um, and make sure that this episode is ready for release. I wanna thank our, our sponsors, Vector Solutions. Um, how will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitments to safety, well-being, and inclusion are as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly EverFi, has been a partner of, of choice for 2,000 plus colleges, universities, and national organizations with nine efficacy studies behind our, their courses. You can trust and have full confidence that using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at vectorsolutions.com forward slash student affairs now. And also to leadership, thank you. Um, leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtual and in-person for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more, please visit them, www.leadership.org forward slash virtual programs, or you can look them up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagrams, LinkedIn. Um, these shows would not be possible without their support. So I wanna thank our audience and listeners for tuning in, joining us on this topic on Pacific Islander college students. Um, um, I hope you've been celebrating and learning more during this Asian Pacific Heritage Month of 2022. If you're not on our newsletter, sign up, go to our website, studentaffairsnow.com. I'm Glenn de Guzman. Thank you for listening and watching. Have a great day. Bye everyone.